this is Kelly Francis with the Double Trouble Podcast, a podcast where I talk about my now six-month-old twin girls, my husband, and my life. This week, I want to talk about the girls' six-month checkup and what all their vital statistics are, just a little bit about what they're eating, things that are going on with them, and then I'm also going to give my two cents on the whole Mommy Wars thing because there's been a lot of chatter on a bunch of podcasts I listened to in the past week or so, and I don't feel like my opinion has been expressed by other people. So anyway, first we'll start with the vital statistics. We went to the doctor yesterday and their six month birthday is actually tomorrow. And I'm sure my husband's gonna wanna do something crazy to celebrate because I think I mentioned before, he's very into celebrating mini birthdays, half birthdays, uh, week long birthdays, all kinds of things. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. He was suggesting at one point giving them cake, and I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure that's not on the approved list of things that the doctor wants us to give them, so maybe not cake, but we'll see if we can't come come up with something good. So at the doctor, Allegra weighed in at 19 pounds, 5 ounces, which the doctor said was the 97th percentile for weight, so she's quite a little chubby chub. (laughs) And she's 26 inches tall, which is, I think that was only... 50th for height so she's got that working against her too and 44 centimeters for her head which is like 90th percentile they both have 44 centimeter heads they've both been measuring 90th percentile the whole time they've huge heads i guess compared to other kids and ramsey was 17 pounds 13 ounces which was 50th percentile for weight and 27 inches tall which is 75th percentile for height she's long and skinny They definitely look like completely different babies. So we also talked about the fact that the girls don't have any teeth yet. And the doctor said, oh, we don't worry about them not having any teeth until they're two years old. He said it's completely considered normal to not have any teeth until they're two years old. However, he said he's only ever seen one baby do that. But that's crazy. It seems to me like everybody's getting teeth around me. And, you know, how come they don't have teeth yet? But my mom said that... My sisters and I didn't really get teeth until around nine months. And my nephew is nine or ten months old now, and he just got teeth in the last month or so. So we probably have a little bit of time left. Although they're teething like crazy, it definitely seems like their teeth are bugging them. But it seems like their teeth have been off and on bugging them since they were born. So I'm not sure that we're necessarily on the verge of anything. We also talked about Ramsey's rash. And this past week, the eczema really kicked up again. However, I I gave them this mixed grain Gerber baby cereal, and I think that may have been what set it off. So I'm just not giving her that for a while. We'll see once I get things back calmed down again. So th- the problem is that I'm using this prescription cream called Mimix to keep things under control, and it's really great. It really does work for her. I have not found any other kind of cream or lotion to use on her that doesn't make her break out worse. It seems like the hot button ingredients are petroleum, mineral oil, lanolin, and I've tried different lotions with different ingredients in them and some that don't have any of those ingredients in them and it doesn't seem to matter. Like every single one of them, anything that's over the counter that I can find doesn't work. So anyway, he prescribed this Mimics cream, and that's really working to keep things at bay. But then when she really has a flare-up, the Mimics won't calm it back down again. I have to use cortisone cream. So I just use over-the-counter cortisone, and I was using it once a day there for a while, and 
and now I'm back down to once, maybe twice a week to keep things under control. And I use it as sparingly as possible. I try to only use it on the real bad spots. But that could also be why she's specifically getting a little worse right now as I've been less aggressive with the cortisone. So I don't know. I still have to play with that a little more. But the interesting thing was the doctor said, so is, in is insurance covering the mimics? And I said, yeah. And he said, really, most people, their insurance company doesn't cover mimics. And geesh, I don't think we have some stellar insurance plan. So I was pretty surprised to find that we're, we have better coverage in some area than other people. But he said, this tube of lotion, which is, I think it's 70 grams. It's a pretty small tube of lotion. It's more what I consider a travel size tube rather than, you know, one of those big giant tubes of Johnson's lotion you can get at the store. And he said, if your insurance doesn't cover it, it costs $80 a tube. I'm like, $80? It's insane. And I use this as body lotion for this baby. So we go through one of these tubes at the very least in a month, if not more frequently than that. So anyway, then he said, well, so you're paying like $30 a tube because that's what most people's insurance covers it for. And I said, no, I'm paying $10 a tube. And he said, what? <laughs> Nobody's getting it for $10 a tube. So that was a little bit happy news, I guess, that our insurance company's doing something for us for all the money we spend on insurance. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And what he said was, that's basically... Like, the Clinique lotion is what this mimics is. And it's funny that he said that because when you go online and you read about this lotion, it's like a new formulation to deal with eczema and radiation rash, which I think I've talked about on here before. But basically, instead of being like a cortisone treatment that's going to suppress the body's reaction to whatever the stimulant is that's making it have the rash, it doesn't contain any steroids. It is like a rejuvenation product, kind of like a Retin-A. Like when I read the description, that's what it reminds me of, which is Retin-A, of course, is the ingredient that's in all these anti-aging lotions, stuff that, you know, you use for the lines around your eyes and everything. So it sounds like it's basically that kind of a product. And they even have the same warnings, whereas when you use a Retin-A, you're not supposed to go out in the sun immediately afterwards. Same thing with the Mimics. Um, anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. What else is going on? Every day they're sitting up more and more and with less of our intervention. It's kind of cool now. We are at that cool stage that people talk about where you can sit them, especially if you can sit them with like a boppy around them or in the corner of the couch is really good or on the bed like surrounded by some pillows. So they're really propped up in there and sit them with a couple toys and they can be happy for 15 minutes or so by themselves. That's pretty neat. I've also been putting them in the pack and play and sitting them up like in the corner so they have some support from the sides of the pack and play and they can sit in there a little while and the, like the good thing about that and the couch and the bed is that when they do tip over which inevitably happens it's like a soft landing so they don't wig out usually we have tried since the last podcast peaches and apples and I was all excited about the peaches I thought that was going to go over great they hate the peaches especially Allegra like she purses up her little mouth and she will not let the spoon enter her mouth. She hates it. If she even smells the peaches in the air, she won't let anything enter her mouth, even rice cereal or oatmeal or something that she loves. She just doesn't want to risk the chance. And of course, I try and mix a little bit of peaches with the rice, so I'm sure she feels like she's been tricked before. <laughs> um, she hates the peaches. It's just not even worth trying anymore. 
So then we switched to apples, and I thought apples would go over great. And actually, Ramsey loves the apples, and she was pretty lukewarm about the peaches. But Ramsey will eat up the apples any way you give them to her. Mixed with cereal, not mixed with cereal. She loves them. But Allegra, again, Allegra treats apples like she treats peas or green beans. She gives you a very ugly face, like, why did you put that in my mouth? And I'm not really psyched about it. And sometimes you get the gagging out of her with the apples. And today, I've only been able to get a couple mouthfuls of apples into her. So this morning, I mixed the apples with barley cereal. And that actually went over all right. She would eat that. Now, I didn't have a high concentration of apples, so it was just a flavor. But I think that's basically the important part anyways just to get them used to the flavor so at least she got a little bit of that and she wasn't thrilled but she likes the cereal so she was kind of dealing with it we're gonna start bananas next and i really hoping this will go over well i feel so sad that we haven't had anything that they've been really psyched about but we'll see the doctor actually said we could start using little tiny noodles like little shells or something and overcooking them so they're real mushy and mixing them with baby food so that they can grab it with their hands. And he was saying most kids get to a point where they just don't want to eat the baby food for a period of time for whatever reason. And they only want to feed themselves, that kind of stuff. So he was suggesting the pasta. My sister just actually had a period of time like that with her son, who is like 9 or 10 months now. And he, all he wanted was peas and baked beans. But that's kind of the same idea. It was something that he could pick up and eat himself. So the doctor basically said, you know, feeding your kids for the next two years is going to be really messy, so just get over that. (laughs) I did give them yesterday the Zwiebach toast, which is, I think of them as almost like little mini biscotti. They're really hard, and they're supposed to be a teething thing. And they say on the box that you're not supposed to give them to them until they are quote-unquote, used to eating solid food, which, of course, they're not really, you know, they haven't chewed anything, really. And then they also say, you know, they need to be able to be heads up. And I think the whole point of all of this is it's, in theory, a choking hazard if they, like, bite off a piece of this. So I just kept a close eye on them, and they just gnaw on them. And as they gnaw on them, they get mushy. I mean, they're really hard to start with, but they slowly get mushy. And Ramsey was really into it, and she actually broke off quite a few pieces. So I just, you know, fished them out of her mouth as soon as it happened. But you really do have to watch them at this point. And even, I'd say, how old do you really feel comfortable giving them this thing and letting them be on their own? I think they'd have to be pretty old. I wouldn't even trust a 10-month-old with that. So anyway, something else I wanted to talk about before I get into my whole mommy warts thing is meeting other moms in the neighborhood and hanging out with mommy groups, that kind of stuff. I really love all of a sudden talking about babies and what stage exactly is your kid at, what stage is my kid at, and what kind of tricks have you found work, that kind of thing. And I realize this is totally a first-time mom thing because it's so exciting, interesting, and new, and it's something intellectual to talk about. But, you know, more experienced moms are kind of like been there, done that. So I'm kind of looking into what kind of mommy groups I can join. There's a woman down the street that has a playgroup once a month that they actually have two sets of twins in this playgroup. Now they're older, but even better in my opinion, because then you can get advice from somebody who's been there. I just need to get over my shy thing and call her and get involved in that mommy group. And then my husband and I have made friends with another couple down the street that has a son 
who was born three days before the girls. And so we probably a couple times a week bump into them in the evenings when everybody's out giving the, taking the kids for a walk. That's really cool, just talking to them about, you know, how tall is he and how heavy is he, and he has teeth already, and what is he eating, and that kind of stuff. We actually just signed up for a swimming class at the local community college that's for infants and parents. Now, of course, Dan and I both have to go because it's one adult to one baby, and it's on Friday afternoons, which seems so weird to me. Why wouldn't they hold a class like that? Like, they only offer it on Friday afternoons. There's two sections, and one's from 3 to 4, and one's from 4 to 5. Why wouldn't they offer that on a Saturday morning when most people could go? But I don't know. Anyway, Dan is going to work his schedule around that and maybe work from home on Fridays so that we can take that hour off or, I don't know, work something else out. His employer is really flexible as far as hours that you work, so we should be able to work something out there. That should be cool. We'll see. You know, you never know who you're going to get thrown in with. And I think that's my biggest fear about joining any of these groups is what if I don't like it? What if I? it turns out I don't get along with some of the women in the group and then you have to leave and there's kind of some weird tension there? I don't know. I'm so silly about some of this stuff sometimes. I just need to get over my fears. Okay, so into my mommy words talk. The past couple weeks, there were two articles that came out that a lot of people are talking about. And you're going to have to forgive me. I don't know all the people that wrote these articles. And I didn't actually go and read the articles themselves. I've only heard other people talking about them. But the first one was a woman who is supposedly a philosopher for a career, which I'm not really sure what that means other than I guess they write articles like this. And her statement was that, that women should be at work and that women shouldn't be staying at home because, well, twofold. One, that it's a waste to society to educate these women and then lose them to motherhood. And second, that things aren't equal and the guys should be at home just as often as the girls should be at home. And let me react to the second first, that I think, okay, I guess from a women's lib perspective, it, it makes sense and it's only fair if the guys bear half of the child-rearing responsibilities, and I guess maybe in a perfect world where you had companies that wanted to support this, you could have the guys working 20 hours a week and the girls working 20 hours a week and truly sharing the during-the-day child care. But that kind of ignores the whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus concept. And I said something about this to my mother, and she said, well, that was the whole women's lib movement was that men are from Mars and women are from Venus is just a bunch of bunk and that nobody should buy into that. And I think that's kind of crazy because how many men do I know that don't pick up their socks off the floor? And how many women do I know that pick the socks up after the men and complain about it? I mean, men and women just are very different and have different things that they find important and consider themselves successful based off of different things. And I think men in general are more defined by their careers and women in general are more defined by their families. And obviously there's lots of exceptions to these rules, but I think generally people do fall on those lines. And so why is it a bad thing to have the guys pursuing their careers and the girls staying home if that's what people want to do? I just don't understand why we should force the opposite. Now, to react to it's a waste to educate these women and then have them stay at home. I do think if you are trained as a molecular engineer and you're not using, obviously, that education at home, staying home with your children, that is a bit of a shame to lose it. Now, are we losing it forever? 
maybe not. Maybe most women, and I think there's at least a sect of women who stay home while their children are young before they enter school and then go back to work. And therefore, I don't think that education is lost at all. But my bigger point is to say that a woman who is well-educated's education is lost to society because she's staying at home and teaching her kids, I think, is really close-minded and not considering the value that that's giving back to society, the fact that she is teaching her children and supplementing maybe their, their lovely public school education that's available out there. I mean, I just think that it's really important for children to be educated not only in the classroom but educated at home and the only way for that to happen is if the parents are there to educate them and a lot of people are able to work out a situation where one of the parents is home even you know school-age kids where one of the parents is home after school so that that can happen but where I think we fall down as a society is when nobody's home after school and so the kids are either in daycare or after school programs or when they get older they just come home and have the house to themselves I really think that is a scary situation that they don't have consistent discipline they don't have someone who's regularly taking time out of their day to find out what's going on with these kids to help them with their homework or supplement their education in other ways and spend time with them and let them know that they're cared for. I really think these things are at the utmost level of importance and it makes me sad and scared that other people don't put importance on this because I see it everywhere. And this is a little off topic, but I've been doing some work with our youth group at church and there was actually a kid who's 16 years old and he got involved in recreational drugs and had an overdose of Ritalin that I guess he got from a friend. I'm not really sure many of the details at all. And the child died. And he comes from a divorced family and his he lives with his dad and his dad can't you know, has a career and like the whole divorce situation is a different situation because you know these people are in a position where he has no choice. He has to work to support his family. So I don't I don't know how you make that situation better. But when you do have the ability to make the decision for one person to be there, even if it's just so that they have a part-time job so they can be there after school, or you work your hours out so one parent is there in the morning and one parent is there in the evening, I just think it's really important for you to be there on a regular basis for your kids and be able to have regular daily conversations with them about what is going on in their lives so that you can see the warning signs, so that you can help them out of dangerous areas that they're in, whether that is from an educational perspective or from a social perspective or whatever. Okay, so <clears throat> the other article that came out was by a woman named Helen Kerwin-Taylor, I believe. And <laughs> Her article was about how motherhood is boring. And apparently there's been a lot of backlash about that, and I don't even get it because motherhood is boring. Staying home with your kids is boring. And it's not all boring. Some of it's really fun and cool, and you get to see the first time they roll over and the first time they talk, and sometimes they're really entertaining. It's funny to watch them. But a lot of times it's just washing bottles, changing poopy diapers, picking up kids when they're screaming. And that's it's not only boring, it's very stressful and tedious and not fun. And you know it's funny because I always think when you talk to other moms and you're all getting together and everybody's complaining about, God, if I wash another bottle, I'm going to shoot myself. And then there's that one mom who's like, oh, I love staying at home. Everything is peaches and cream. And... My life is absolutely perfect, exactly where I want it to be. 
I never understand that. I never understand if that person just thinks that she shouldn't be complaining about her children or that, you know, somehow it it makes her look like a bad person. But I don't buy it. I don't buy that that person is 100% satisfied with washing bottles all day. I just don't. And I think that there's either a reason why she's not saying it because she thinks it's going to make her look bad in some arena or they're lying to themselves. And I worry about the person who's lying to themselves because you know, everybody has a breaking point. It makes me worry about things like the woman who killed all her kids in Texas or whatever, that you just get overwhelmed. And she was a perfect situation where I believe she was a stay-at-home mom who was homeschooling her kids and had them all involved in all these activities and always had the cookies made for the kids' birthday parties and was very, like, the perfect mom on the outside. And obviously, she snapped. So... I don't even understand people who want to pretend like, oh, it's so much fun to do all this tedious work. It's not, but there are definitely some awesome upsides to it, and that's why people have kids. (laughs) But let's just be a little realistic about it. And I do think that's why I particularly want to have some kind of work that's going on because I need something for my brain to work on sometimes. It just makes me crazy when I don't have some some kind of intellectual stimulation on a regular basis. And that can't just be talking to my husband when he comes home because it's not enough. I need to be really getting into something. And I do think that it's important for women to try and keep their hand in something. And even if you have to take a couple years off because things are crazy, so what? It's a couple years in the grand scheme of what, a 40, 50 year career? When you look at how long people are really working these days, I just don't get it. I do think you got to be a little careful as far as what's happening to your resume. But if you're interviewing at the right place, You say to them, I thought it was important to stay home with my kids, and people understand that and get that and respect that. So why is that such a big deal that I took a couple years off to stay home with my kids? So another thing that I think is kind of wrapped into this whole mommy wars, and this is really one of my hot button issues, is people who say they can't afford to stay at home. That really gets underneath of my skin (laughs) because I believe that in almost all situations, and this has been backed up by quite a number of studies, that A, people can't afford to stay at home. It's about adjusting your standard of living, and B, that in a lot of cases, people actually end up breaking even or ending up with less money at the end of the day than they would have if only one person stayed at home because of things like you have to pay for daycare, you have to pay for, in theory, an extra car and extra gas to get the second person to work, you have to pay for work clothes, you end up spending more money on convenience foods because you have less time. I think there's something thrown into these statistics about additional doctor bills because the kids are getting exposed to more germs at the daycare, you know, things like that. You start adding all these things up and poof, there goes the second income. And so I think there's two pieces to this. One is people are not willing to give up their standard of living because they've gotten themselves roped into a situation where their mortgage requires two incomes or they've got the two car payments or whatever, and they just don't want to give it up. And that's fine, really, if that's your decision, but I just wish people would say, that's my decision. I would rather have the standard of living than stay home with my kids. The other piece is that people really don't want to stay home with their kids and they would rather work. And again, that's fine if that's your decision, but I wish people would be honest about that being their decision. I really don't like it when they use the excuse that I quote unquote can't afford it because in most cases that is just not the case. And what I really loathe is when you go and you talk to somebody who is not staying at home 
and they say to you, oh, so are you working? Are you staying at home? You say, oh, I'm staying at home. And they say, oh, well, how lucky for you that you could afford to do that. That just like burns me because you know what when Dan and I got married before we got married we were setting ourselves up so that we could make this happen because I think it's important to stay home with your kids so we bought a house that has a mortgage that we could afford on one income and we've bought our cars and paid off our cars before we got pregnant so that we wouldn't have the car payments to, to take care of we don't have fancy clothes we don't go out to eat all the time you know you have to adjust your budget and I would say that we are lucky in that even though we are cutting back from where we could be, we do still live in a really nice house and we're comfortable and we eat the things we want. We really don't have to pinch our pennies like crazy. But we could be living it up a lot nicer if and going on trips and doing all kinds of things if we had the two incomes. So it just makes me mad that people act like, oh, you're so lucky. Like, what do you mean lucky? I'm giving up a lot to have the opportunity to stay at home. It just makes me mad. It belittles my decision and makes it seem as though this is just like the easy way out and that staying at home, oh my, you know, that's so relaxing and fun. And aren't you lucky that you can do that? Like that's spoken truly by people who don't stay at home or haven't stayed at home. Anyway, it just, it, it really burns me. I just, I hate it when people make excuses for things and I don't understand why they don't just be honest with themselves and with other people and I think half of this is people are not being honest with themselves. People are not adding up the, the money to really see that it's costing them to have that second job because they don't want to know that piece of information. They want to work. Oh, another thing somebody said to me, this is not really too much mommy words related, but I met a girl who had adopted a child from overseas. and. I did not hear any of the details as to why she couldn't conceive or maybe she could and I, you know, I don't know why they decided to adopt. In theory, it was probably some tough situation where they couldn't have kids and I really feel for them and I, I feel like all the things that Dan, went, Dan and I went through with the miscarriage gave me a whole different perspective on what it would be like to not be able to have kids and if you would or wouldn't be willing to adopt and what all that would entail as far as the emotional differences and the monetary differences and it's you know a big deal and I feel for people like that so we were talking about the adoption and I asked her how long the process took and she said it took about a year and I said well that's not too bad since it takes people who have children about a year so you had roughly the same amount of waiting and time to prepare that everybody else does and she goes yeah but I gotta tell you it's not just like a couple of doctor's appointments and then you have the baby it's way more difficult to fill out all this paperwork and and do the adoption process and I was just my jaw was on the floor I was so offended like that's spoken truly by a woman who hasn't been pregnant because geez pregnancy is just so much joy and just a couple of doctor's appointments especially somebody in my position where you know I was in bed rest for two months and labor was a two-day process where I ended up with a c-section at the end I mean I'm just like you cannot seriously be saying that to me <laughs> Sometimes I just don't know what people are thinking. When I met this girl, it was at um, a friend of mine's bachelorette party, and all of these women were very well educated in their early 30s, most of them. Most of them had master's degrees at minimum, if not doctorates. None of them, except for this one woman, had children. And this was the first time that I really got, you know, people say, are you staying at home? And I said, yes, I'm staying at home. And they got the, like, Oh, you know, uh, 
you get the, oh, I really don't respect you now, and I don't have anything to talk to you about now. And I've always found that whole concept to be pretty offensive, but it's never actually happened to me because most of the people I work with, their wives stay home. Most of the people my husband works with, their wives stay home. So most of the people that I regularly interact with, I, I don't really get, at least in a group setting. I mean, there's always like the random person that you bump into on the street that just doesn't respect your decision, but to be in a setting like that where it's really silly that it was kind of like all of a sudden, oh, I have nothing to talk to you about, so let me move on to the next person. And that just makes me really kind of frustrated because here I am, a very accomplished person. I have quite a resume and you know, they don't even want to take the time to get to know me because I've made that decision and I just, I don't know, it's kind of sad. So anyway, I guess that's about all I have to say for today. Please feel free to check out my website, doubletroublepodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at doubletroublepodcast at gmail.com and I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening.